Hey guys, and welcome to the Movement Docs Podcast. I'm Jake. And I'm Mike. And we're just two guys who want to help students and clinicians grow in the field of rehab. Welcome to the show. Hey guys, and welcome to episode 10 of the Movement Docs, titled Failure is the Greatest Teacher, featuring Tony Mulder, who's one of our good friends of ours. Tony is a second-year physical therapy student at Shenandoah University with an interest in neurorehabilitation, pediatrics, and public health. Originally from Jacksonville, Florida, he attended the University of Florida for his undergrad degree and earned a bachelor's in cultural and biological anthropology. After graduating, Tony obtained an entry-level position at Merrill Lynch, where he received on-the-job training about various financial portfolios. Tony quickly realized the corporate world was not for him. Therefore, he resigned, enrolled in prerequisite courses so he could apply to PT school, and worked as an administrative assistant in rehab tech for a large rehab company called Brooks Rehabilitation. Tony now resides in the Shenandoah Valley and enjoys hiking, biking, craft beer, organic gardening, and his dog, Buddy. (laughs) Thanks for being on the show today, Tony. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Excited to have you. So what are we talking about today, Jake? Um, that's a good question, Mike. Uh, I should have briefed myself on the show notes a little bit uh, more efficiently. Um, but the big things are going to be just letting Tony tell his story. And I think that through that, we'll kind of go down some rabbit holes and get a little bit of his experiences as a student. Um some of his failures and lessons that he's learned in grad school and uh, talk a little bit about like strategies for overcoming obstacles in your life and how to stay resilient and how to stay positive and keep your head uh, up even when you're going through some tough stuff. So I think today is going to be a little bit more of a emotional hitch in the feels podcast for us. Um, we're still going to try and pepper it, pepper, sorry, pepper it with as many, uh, cultural references and obscure, like trivial things as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think today is going to be, it's going to be a good one, Mike. Sounds good. I'm excited. Um, and I also want to express my gratitude for Tony being on the show. Uh, thank you for coming on Tony. Yeah, no problem. Appreciate it. Perfect. So, uh, yeah, let's, let's get this started. Uh, Tony for, those of us listening, myself included, who know you as a very interesting, perhaps the most interesting man in the Shenandoah Valley, um, <laughs> could you tell me a little bit more about your background and maybe what cultural and biological anthropology actually is? Because I have never heard those words put together before. <laughs> yeah, so I get that question a lot. And by a lot, I mean pretty much like... Uh, like every time I tell someone that I majored in cultural and biological anthropology. First off, um, so I'm from Jacksonville, Florida. So for people that don't know Florida that well, I'm not close to Miami. I'm actually on (laughs) the north side of the state. I'm about 30 minutes from Georgia. Um, And it actually does get kind of cold here. Uh, not often though. Um, and so I went to the, to the university of Florida for, um, my bachelor's degree. And so basically what is cultural and biological, um, anthropology. So pretty much the study of anthropology is pretty much the study of, um, humans as a whole, but it has four 
subcategories. There's uh, linguistics, so the study of language, how it develops, its meaning, and how it's carried, you know, like across all different cultures. Then there's the study of archaeology, which is pretty much studying people's trash from ancient <laughs> times. It would be like <laughs> us. Dying. I don't think I don't think I've ever heard somebody use describe archaeology as studying somebody's trash. But it kind of is. It would be us like dying and us being covered up in layers and layers of dirt and you know then there's a whole nother civilization on top of us and they dig up our dumpster and try to figure out our life from an old milk jug or trash bag or like something like that and they're like oh this must mean that and i mean it probably really doesn't we just assume that so that's archaeology and then there's biological um, anthropology where you're pretty much studying um um, humans over time. So how we, um, evolved, um, you can look at our bone structures and other things like that. Um, it's really interesting. And then there's cultural, um, which is the most well-known, which is just studying cultures in all different countries and pretty much what makes their culture, um, unique. And so I took classes on Greece and Brazil and a class on AIDS in Africa and how it affects the culture in certain parts of Africa and a lot of papers written and discussion points. And it was really interesting. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> okay. So biologicals like, uh, like do you ever see the show bones? Yes. Like that's biological anthropology? Um, it can be. So I actually took a forensics class. My professor, she was a forensic anthropologist um, in Orlando, Florida, and all her lectures were based off her own cases. And it showed like tape, um, caution taped, you know, murder scenes and throughout Florida and how she would go and look at the bodies and the bones and, um, make, you know, justifications about possibly who the person was, or, you know, we had to learn about trauma, whether, if, you know, it was a bullet wound or a stab entry, um, things like that. Um, yeah. And then also, you know, biological, it's, you know, you can look at various skulls and you can tell, um, you know, where the person came from, their origin. So whether if it was like Asia or Africa or Europe. So there's a lot of different things you can do with that in terms so, of study of biological anthropology. <laughs> so even though you weren't like directly studying like PT, mm -hmm. you got a, a decent exposure to like anatomy and, and bones and like injury types like trauma, lacerations, blunt force, that, that type of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So that's when I first heard of a fish. Okay. Oh, <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> so for those, for those of our listeners that aren't uh, familiar, Fouche is uh, falling on an outstretched arm. Right. Or outstretched hand, I guess it would yeah. be. Yeah. Everyone always says arm, but Fouche is like the H is hand. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. a Fusa. So. <laughs> In that, in that, you know, forensic anthropology class, um, a foosh happens a lot in crime scenes because, you know, people fall backwards just like a lot of people. So, <laughs> yeah. 
Interesting. I wonder how many like clavicular and elbow injuries you see in crime scenes due to like that type of thing. Probably a lot. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and like maybe scaphoid fractures, lunate dislocations. Yeah, there were uh, different. Yeah, there were various things that she would look for and she would talk about. I mean, it's been years, so I can't really recall everything she said. But I, that's still when we talk about Fouche, like even in school, I resort back to a forensic anthro class, and not many people can say that. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty awesome. Even Collie's fracture. I'm just gonna periodically name things that happen. Right. From Fushi injuries throughout this show, as right. they pop in my head, because that's gonna happen. Right. So I just, I just want you to know that. I'm also right. probably gonna quote random other stuff too, but that's you'll see. Perfect. We'll get there. Yeah. We'll get there. That's we'll perfect. <laughs> so, and Tony, you're you're in your second year of PT school, um, and you just mentioned that you've done biological anthropology, but also cultural anthropology. Do you feel like the cultural anthropology aspect of things like helped you prepare for your clinicals and all that kind of stuff? Um, I feel like it's definitely helped, um, on certain, um, aspects. I mean, I feel like when I try, when I look at like a clinical case or something like that, I'm, I'm able to tie in the big picture really well, kind of bringing in the psychosocial factors of a patient. I'm able, I feel like I'm able to pick up on that really fast and factor it into, you know, like a prognosis or even a plan of care. And so, yeah, I feel like it's definitely helped me for sure. That's just cool. I was just curious, you know, because most, most times when you see people going to PT school, you know, they either studied, studied exercise science or, or some kind of kinesiology or like biomechanics or something. Right. So it's neat to have a, a separate background uh, and, and ways that you can kind of tie everything together to ultimately help your patients. So that's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. I want to I want to echo that too because even though because PT is an entry level doctorate and you just have to meet the prereqs for it, a lot of times like working interviews and stuff, you'll see people that have very interesting um, like bachelor's degrees or master's degrees in something completely unrelated or seemingly unrelated to PT. Right, right. But I think it's really cool that even in that. Me, like me not knowing what the heck cultural and biological anthropology is. And then you telling me, basically in my head, I heard something, something, scientific garbage inspector, something, something. I remember that show on Fox called Bones. Uh, but being able to use those, like those things, like those skill sets that you learned in like the cultural and biological aspects of anthropology. And like Mike was saying, like being able to use that clinically um, and even to be able to revert back to your forensic classes when you're in the middle of muscular lab, like, right, right. that's, that's really cool. And it's really interesting to see that again, even though that seems to be unrelated, that's really kind of helped you along that process. Yeah. I mean, cause it's ultimately the study of humans and, you know, PTs treat humans, I kind of helps. <laughs> I mean, we, we have, we have said that on, on this podcast too, that, you know, we're treating people and like, don't forget you're treating people. And right. So right. Th- thank you for, thank you for reminding us all that humans are humans. Cause I've always gotten that a lot when people saying, how does PT relate to um, physical therapy? And I say that and they're like, oh yeah. 
<laughs> well, you make a strong argument, Tony. <laughs> That's perfect. Oh my gosh. So Tony, could you tell us a little bit about what you were doing before PT school? Yeah. So, um, so the next question is, um, so you majored in anthropology and you somehow got a job at Merrill Lynch. Um, the answer is yes. Um, <laughs> it was an entry level position that didn't really require, um, a financial background. It was more so, do you have a bachelor's degree and are you wanting to kind of learn the company and move up? And I was like, sure. Um, and so <laughs> I got in, um, and you know, I was the typical person undergrad that I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I was like, well, here's this job. I guess I'll take it. Um, and I did, you know, I was working there and I, I hated the, co- the corporate world. Like it was just, mm-hmm so fast paced and everyone was miserable and all they cared about was money. Mm. Um, and there was just no passion in it. So, um, yeah. So I was like, you know what? I need to do the medical field and I've always been passionate about physical therapy. Cause I had done, um, some observation hours in it, um, an undergrad for a public health class and, mm. I was like, I need to do it. This is the time to do it. So I enrolled in the science courses needed for um, PT school at uh, the University of North Florida. Um, They had a post-baccalaureate science certificate where you could get your prereqs and also obtain a certificate of science, um, whatever that is. And um, (laughs) and I also worked with a large rehab company. about two and a half years here in North Florida called Brooks rehab. They have, and they have a huge, um, rehab hospital, home health and outpatient clinics all through the state of Florida. And so I worked with patients as a rehab tech, but then in terms of the administration, in terms of like the, um, of the, um, administrative assistant, I worked in billing. I did front desk coverage. Um, I kind of floated all around the outpatient clinics and did a lot of different things. So it was, which I feel it's going to help me in the end because I've learned so much about insurance and all the regulations and things like that. So I'm looking to eventually pull that knowledge out and use it when I am a practicing PC. Okay. So, yeah. So you, you were basically, as you were taking the prerequisite courses, you were also working at this Brooks rehab company. Yeah. Uh, working full time. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And you were kind of like a jack of all trades in that regard where you, you got your, you know, your hands in the, the insurance pot and you got to do like tech, tech work and all that kind of stuff too. Yep. And so, um, we had clinics all through Jacksonville and so I covered, uh, certain region of Jacksonville. Jacksonville's a very large city. So like three days a week, I would be at like an outpatient neuro another couple days. I would just be at a general outpatient ortho. Sometimes I would do peds. Um, so, and some were hospital based clinics, some were non-hospital based clinics and each had different insurance, um, you know, rules and regulations. So I really had to learn it all. Um, and then I also worked PRN, weekends at a hospital more on like the rural side of Jacksonville and outside of it. And I was a, um, I worked in the hospital and I worked in the ICU 
um, on weekends. And that was really interesting. Okay. So you got, you got a lot of experience before coming into PT school. Then you got to a chance to work at Brooks and then also in the ICU. Yeah. Holy cow. Okay. So is that, is that where you got your interest in neuro rehab, pediatrics and public health? Cause I feel like you just listed off like all those things. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like, so where I really got my interest in neuro, I think was when working in the hospital on weekends. Um, and then with Brooks rehab, working at the outpatient, um, neuro facility, I, I got to do a lot, um, you know, helping the therapists out with their patients just in terms of, you know, helping with transfers and then just helping with the treatment. Cause a lot of the, you know, patients wouldn't be able to sit up and stuff. So I got to kind of help set them up and just watch the therapist work with them and all the things they did. And I just thought it was like amazing. That's really awesome. I know, uh, Shout out to Eric uh, Liverman. Is it Liverman? 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 Liverman. Liverman. Paul. Paul Liverman. Uh, he he. I know did a clinical down there. I think this past summer, and yeah. he he absolutely loved it and talked about Brooks all the time. So that's oh, yeah. that's really cool that that you get to because I I feel like they're that's like a big deal in neuro rehab. Yeah, they're really good. Um, they have um, they have a neuro residency. Um, and yeah, they're just really strong and, and neuro, um, the guy who would come and speak in Dr. Fergus's, um, class for the spinal cord injury, Mark Bowden, he actually used to teach the residency for neuro at Brooks and oh, wow. his presentation was like in the clinic that I worked in and stuff. So it was, we like, and we like knew all the same people and everything. So Brooks is like the Ron Burgundy of neuro hospitals. They're kind of a big deal. Kind of a big deal. Yeah. People come from all over the Southeast to get like the inpatient rehab there. That's awesome. Wow. That's, a, that's I mean, a great place to, to get experience in. Yeah. <laughs> I really, really enjoyed it. They, they let you help out a lot. Um, and it's, it, it's kind of a company that you know, creates um, positions. They see that you're strong in something and then, they might need something and they're like, Oh, perfect. Let's just kind of create this position. And that's kind of what I did. I was good at doing, having two different jobs in one. And then other clinics were like, Oh, that's pretty cool. Can he come help us too? And then before I knew it, I was working at like five or six different clinics. Okay. So you're awesome. kind of a big deal too, huh? Yeah. I was, I was like, pretty much a celebrity. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) And I know, I know you said you really enjoyed your experiences uh, working as a tech and and doing all these things with Brooke and the ICU. Uh, What made you decide to go into PT versus like other healthcare professions or like pottery or underwater basket weaving or anything like that? Or overwater Um, basket weaving. Oh yes. Can't forget overwater. Like my, fifth or sixth choice. Um, <laughs> I, so PT, I really like, you know, the patient, uh, relationship that you build, um, with them. Um, and because, you know, you're with them so much and you pretty much set a goal together and you work with them to achieve it. Um, mm-hmm. which 
I mean, I know that's the best case scenario. There are patients who don't come back or you know, mm-hmm. things like that, but that's, you know, typically the, the idea and you're putting the patient's care in their hands. Um, you, you're setting a goal together and you're pinpointing things that they need help with and you're really working together, you know, to get them there. You're not just saying take this pill or, you know, I'm just going to refer you to someone else or I'm going to do surgery on you. Um, like other healthcare professionals, um, ours is let's work together and just use movement and other aspects like that to get you there. And I just think it's really interesting and such a valuable asset to healthcare. And, um, I liked the direction that, the field is going. Um, and so I uh, so thought it was a really great time to, you know, get in this field because it has so many opportunities and it's grown so much and everything about it just seemed right. So that's, mm-hmm. that's why. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense, you know, and you said a lot of really good things there. Uh, it just made me think, you know, uh, you talked about having the, the patient being able to like set their own goals or you work with the patient to set those goals and, and work with them. And you're kind of acting as a coach, mm-hmm. uh, reminded me of, uh, there's this prosthetics and orthotics class we just took. And, uh, Dr. McGowie, one of her quotes that she said when she was teaching it is your goals are my goals. So right. whenever, she, whenever she's working with a patient, she's just like, whatever your goals are, they're my goals now too. And I want to make sure that we work together so we can, we can help you achieve those. Right. So, right. So, right. So that's, that's pretty darn cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. yeah. I also think you have probably one of the, uh, more better or someone say best, uh, answers to that question. Cause I feel like Mike and I have talked about this before on the podcast a lot of people are just like, oh, yeah, I, I had PT once. That's why I want to be a physical therapist. Like, you legitimately have a really awesome and in-depth experience and series of things that have happened through your life and experiences that you've had through Brooks and shadowing at school and all that that have led you to where you are now. And mm-hmm. uh, I think that's really cool. Yeah. And even the even like the the laterality of of PT too, you know, um, being able to to work in an outpatient setting, and then if you decide that right. um, that, that doesn't really fill your soul up as much as you thought it would, maybe you right. move over to ICU or inpatient or anything like that. So, right. pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay, so we know we know why you chose the physical therapy profession, but could you elaborate on why you decided to choose SU? Uh, yeah. Did you did you apply to any other programs, or, or what made you pick SU over the other programs? Yeah, so I'll just. Yeah, so I applied to schools all up the East Coast, um, all the way up to, I think most far north was Connecticut at um, Sacred Heart University. Um, But why I chose Shenandoah, this is actually a really um, interesting story, because people are like, wait, what? Um, So I mentioned that I shadowed physical therapy while I was an undergrad for a public health course. it was at a physical therapy clinic that did a lot of um, pro bono services for the community in Gainesville, Florida, where I went to undergrad. And, um, and so anyways, I was sent there and the PT that owned the clinic down in Gainesville, Florida was a Shenandoah graduate at the time. I didn't know what Shenandoah was. And I just, um, was like, Oh, that sounds interesting. And, and that was the last time I had thought about Shenandoah. And then when it was time to apply to PT school, I was researching schools and I was like, wow, this seems like a great program. 
And um, while I was working at Brooks Rehab, a student from Shenandoah um, was at the clinic I was working at. Really, really talked it up and said how great it was. And um, I, she was like, here, you know, like if you're worried about getting in, let's have you talk to Dr. Turner. He will look at your application and let you know what you need to work on. Um, so I actually sent all my information to Dr. Turner and, um, which is our, um, professor at Shenandoah and he looked over everything and he was like, I would maybe retake the GRE. I would, um, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. I did. And I just kind of kept him updated over the year of my progress. Um, and then I went to interview there and I really love the faculty. Um, and I love the location it being the Shenandoah Valley close to DC and Baltimore. Um, and I got in and, um, I just wanted to try something new. Um, I know the school had a great uh, reputation and the clinical experiences they offer, which is the newer term for our internships, um, were really great and challenging. So (laughs) I packed my bags and moved to Virginia. (laughs) (laughs) Right on. So you you kind of had like multiple instances over time where you kind of got like snippets of information about SU and then, and then you got to have this like rapport with Dr. Turner and and able to kind of figure out what you needed to do to, to, you know, be competitive and and get into the program. That's awesome. Right. Okay. Perspective students take, take, take a tip from Tony, do exactly what he did. So because that's a fantastic way of like, making sure that you're really advocating for yourself and doing yeah. all the right things to help you get into school. Email the right person and um, ask the right questions and just like be confident with yourself and just keep updating them. Like he wouldn't ask me. I would just send him. I would be like, Hey, I just took retook the GRE and got this really great score. And he'd be like, that's awesome. Thanks for letting me know. I appreciate that. I'll take note of that. You know, mm-hmm. so definitely start making yourself known early. And then, and then that kind of goes back to a lot of stuff that we talk about, like, you know, being driven, being proactive and putting yeah. a, your name out there. Right. Cause those mm-hmm. emails, especially if you have like a little cool picture of yourself mm-hmm. that can kind of get you, you know, a face and a name. And they, when you keep doing that, you keep being proactive and you keep seeing, oh, Tony Mulder's emailing me again. Tony Mulder's emailing me again. And every yeah. time you have that interaction, it's a positive interaction or he's, he's like impressing you with things that you're doing. That's, that's a really good way to advocate for yourself as a perspective. Yeah. Which is huge, especially um, for someone who was, um, you know, like all the way down in Florida. I mean, Shenandoah has, you know, like the agreements with certain schools to admit a certain number. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was not one of those schools. I was a very external type of application. So to get noticed, I really had to, you know, make myself known. Mm-hmm. Mike, what was that quote from the alchemist? Was it like when you desire something, like everything in the universe conspires to help you achieve it? Yeah, yeah, that's it. I feel like that's kind of what happened in this situation. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Tony, Tony set his sights and he made it happen and, and the universe kind of just like kicked into full gear and was like, we're doing this. <laughs> Some yeah. would say that he discovered his personal legend. Oh, nice. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I forgot about that, but man. 
Well, we're over here giggling because we did uh, in episode eight. We talked of we had a book list of all the different like notable books that had really impacted us, and that was we probably spent a good like five or ten minutes at least talking about the Alchemist. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty awesome. All right, so Tony, now that we've gotten your kind of story up to you getting into SU, how was that transition to grad school, and what was what was that like for you? Your first year of under or your first year of grad school compared to undergrad. Right. So, um, undergrad was a completely different experience. Um, so as I said, I went to the, to the university of Florida, um, party school. <clears throat> yeah, which for many years was the number one party school in the country. Um, you know, go Gators were in the SEC. So I was <laughs> in the party crowd. Um, I lived right down the road from the stadium. You can hear the games. We sold parking in our front yard. My friends were, and fraternities and you know it was it was i was actually i rushed to do a fraternity and decided not to but it was a whole different experience um whereas coming into grad school um you know the course load was just a whole nother you know thing for me um undergrad i feel like i could get by with not having to do too much and still do do really well. Whereas grad school, I could study for God knows how many hours and still get a C on a test. And it just mm-hmm. blew my mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I feel like that was just the biggest transition for me. Biggest difference was the time commitment and just, you know, the rigor of the courses. Once again, you could study something so hard and then go take a test and feel like you know nothing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's a huge transition, you know. Um, it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a dent to your confidence for sure to, yeah. to spend so much time and effort on one thing and then get crushed by the exam. <laughs> yeah. Still. Yeah. yeah. Dude, dude, Tony, did I ever tell you uh, – I know I've talked to Mike about this before. Um, so – when I took cardio my third year, yeah, I'm the only student in the class with an active cardiac pathology, right? And like have a pacemaker, and so a lot of times our professor would call on me for my opinions as someone who's who's in that world as a patient, and right. what it's like to be on the other side and share my perspectives and talk about you know what it's like to have a pacemaker. Honestly, yeah. I, I got the lowest grade on the cardio test. <laughs> I got a 55. <laughs> and I tried. I tried really hard, and I got a 55. And that was with, like, a probably, like, a 15-point curve. Yeah. So it, there are moments where grad school just punches right. you in the jejunum, and you realize that you've never thrown up in your life before until just now. Rip you a new one, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and I, and I guess what really was also the biggest difference was, um, (laughs) finals week of first semester. Like, I mean, I know a lot of people came right into, um, PT school straight out of undergrad and maybe were a little bit more used to having a million tests at one time. But when you don't have that for like four years and then you have like so many finals at one time that are all equally as hard. Mm-hmm. That just like, I mean, you know, did me in for the semester. <laughs> uh, that that was rough. So that was definitely something that I had to get used to. 
Yeah. And now, on a lighthearted side note, I think it would be interesting if um, our is it archaeologists? Who are the trash inspectors? Is it the archaeologists? Yeah. If you had archaeologists go in a uh, hundred years from now or two hundred years from now, dig through any one of our like trash from finals week. Mm-hmm. And just see what kind of click conclusions they made about how unhealthy and like yeah. horrible <laughs> our population is. Like it would yeah. be very funny. They would they would know that I really like Bojangles and McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Now, yeah, you're right. <laughs> so, so you know that that okay. So we know that that transition from undergrad to grad was pretty hard. Um, yeah. So what about, let's talk a little bit about your transition from the first semester of PT school to the transition to your second semester of PT school. So like, what were your first impressions with PT school? And then what did you do to change in your second semester? Right. So um, my first semester of PT school, um, I had always been a big picture type learner. Um, So this was, I mean, yes, I took the science courses, you know, to get in, but, um, but still so many classes at one time that were all just the exams were based on like small details that they would ask you. Mm -hmm. That was just very, very challenging, you know, challenging to me for some reason. It just kind of, I don't know if it was a whole different way of thinking that I was not used to. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's what was one of the most challenging things for me the first semester. Um, and then I just kind of identified those things and was honest about it. Okay. Um, and so going into my second semester, I was lucky enough that I reflected on what I did wrong in an accurate manner and addressed those things. Mm-hmm. And the outcome was really good. I mean, my spring semester of my first year, I was getting, you know, all A's and B's on all my tests. And okay. I was like, wow, I really did figure it out and, um, you know, made a change. Okay. So you were able to kind of appraise uh, everything, like reflect and appraise on like what happened in your first semester and say, yeah. Hmm, yeah. This, di- this didn't quite work for me. This, this worked for me. This, maybe this didn't work for me. And yeah. then you, you implemented a strategy to, to fix the things that didn't work for you. Exactly. That's dude, that's huge because one, that second semester is, is tough. Right. right? I mean, I don't know how it is at other schools, but I know at least at SU where we, we all go to or, well, I guess yep. I'm graduated now where I went as an <laughs> alumnus. Um, like once you start getting into that second semester where you're doing a part-time clinical, you're taking neuroanatomy, you're yeah. actually taking your musculoskeletal course, like you're getting some heavy hitters. And for you to be able to, like what Mike said, reflect, appraise, and really just be honest with yourself. Like mm-hmm. it, it takes yeah. a lot to to admit that to yourself. And I've seen, I've seen a handful of students that can't do that and they can't, yeah. They can't be honest with themselves and admit that they need to change something, and they just keep doing the same stuff over and over, and they right. just keep digging that rut and making it worse. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where, like, things like you know, reaching out to professors, reaching out to friends, reaching out to, you know, I don't, I don't know if this is how you did it, but I know that with a lot of people, it's when you're going through that reflection process, it's uh, what are what are successful people doing, and how can I 
reverse engineer that. I stole that from Gerard, but I mean, <laughs> it's kind of, I mean, that's kind of how I know I've done it that way where it's like, I need to, if I s- am not good at this subject, like I need to find someone that's good at it, that they can teach me or show yeah. me how to study or, you know, give me flashcards or quiz me or something like that, just to stay involved and try to yeah. figure out how I can change and, and, and better myself. So right. I mean, like props to you, dude, for being able to turn that around like that. That's, that's awesome. Because like I said, there's, there's a lot of people that can't, that have not been able to do that as successfully as you have. Right. Mm-hmm. And even what you said, you know, like you you trusted in yourself. Like once you made those reflections and those uh, those admissions that uh, you messed up in one area or another, or maybe you needed to fix something here and there, you trusted in the process. Once you said, "This is how I'm going to fix it. I'm going to stick to this and I'm going to do it," and right. you had great and you had great results with it. Right. Yeah. For sure. Macro patience, micro speed. Yep. There's <laughs> another one from Gerard. <laughs> oh man, stopped him all night. <laughs> That's, that's we, just, we just learn like this is Tony. This is all we do. We talk to cool people and we learn like buzzwords. Right. And like four episodes later, we're just like buzzword, buzzword, buzzword. Like listen to our other episode. Like you guys should totally listen to episode three. It's okay. it's like shameless self promotion, you know. Right. But, but it's, it's stuff that we've learned though, which is kind of yeah. neat too. You yeah. Know? So it's like, you know, it's it's blowing our minds every time. Just to be able to to talk to all these really cool people and, and all that. So. Um, oh my! I think are my audio getting, is going are strange. We some funky feedback. Yeah, we're good. Okay. Cool. <laughs> it's okay. Dare to be dare to be bad. If our video equipment goes down, it's okay. It's okay. okay. I, I think it cut out in one one episode when I was about to ask like a really important question. It just like froze on me once. So I think. Uh, okay. Oh, oh we we lost Jason on that one too. Yeah, <laughs> he went through platform nine and three quarters and disappeared on us. <laughs> that may or may not have been because I hit the mute button on accident, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> <laughs> so, so moving on. Uh, so we know that you you were able to kind of like turn turn your grades around a little bit. Um, did you involve yourself with any uh, like programs or anything else? How did you how did you maximize your grad school experience? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I've done a lot. <laughs> um, so that was also one of the other reasons that I came to Shenandoah um, was because of all the volunteer and service opportunities that this school had. Um, so I'm not going to name all of them, but I'm going to list some of the uh, really important ones. Um the first one was my first year. I was the um, Virginia Physical Therapy Association uh, representative for my class, and um, I went to a lot of um, you know the meetings with all the representatives from the state of Virginia, and then we would talk about you know the important topics in our field and which direction the field was going and how to make it better. And I actually attended the main. Um, leadership conference for it in Charlottesville, Virginia, um, and got to network with the president of the VPTA. Um, and so that, that was great and made a lot of great connections. Um, the second one that was really involved with was the, um, um, adaptive aquatics for kids, um, through Winchester medical center. Um, it was for kids with, uh, neurological, um, disabilities and, um, and I was actually, um, I was able to be the coordinator for it for about two semesters. And, um, pretty much just 
it's us and a bunch of other PT students and we have kids with us and we're pretty much just playing in the pool, but it's great nice. for them because it gets them moving. It helps with their sensory overload and, um, it's just a great resource for the community. Um, that's something that I've been very proud that I've been a part of and, um, it was a lot of fun. And then third thing I've been really involved with that I'm currently most involved with is an organization called primary care progress. Um, it's a student run group here at Shenandoah, but it's part of a national organization that was formed at Harvard medical school. Um, it, uh, it's aimed at trying to redefine primary care, the practice in itself. Um, it's not just for people that want to work in primary care. It's actually, trying to promote all the other disciplines such as PT, pharmacy, OT to kind of rise up and play a more stronger role in treating the patient as a whole um, nice. because doctors or I shouldn't say doctors, um, physicians are very burnt out and feel that, that they need more help and Yet PTs are getting doctorates, pharmacists are getting doctorates, OTs are transitioning doctorates. I mean, we're capable of a lot. And so it's the, you know, the group is formed by, you know, physicians. So it's aimed at trying to redefine primary care and just creating a better healthcare system. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was able to at attend the National Leadership Summit in Minneapolis this past summer where I got to network with Harvard med students, med students at you know, New York University, University of Minnesota, Michigan, all over the place, um, and really learn what the organization's about. And I was also able to advocate for the physical therapy field. I was at a networking event there and I would simply walk up to even doctors. I mean, I didn't care, you, you know, physicians. and I was like, what do you think PTs do? And they would tell me, and then I was actually able to educate them on what we can do and how we can help out. Um, yeah. And then another thing I was able to do with primary care progress is, this past semester, I um, developed a partnership with the Virginia Department of Health where it's a um, PT students and PA students are doing free healthcare screenings at a food pantry in Old Town Winchester. Um, and we're taking blood pressure, having people fill out a pre-diabetes assessment that's from the CDC um, just to let them know if they are at risk or not mm -hmm. for developing pre-diabetes. And if they did not have an established medical doctor, we would refer them over to the free uh, medical clinic in town that ha also is affiliated with Shenandoah University. So it's just more of a preventative public health type initiative that which obviously, as I said, I'm interested in that mm -hmm. helped developed and primary care is behind it, the organization, and it's partnered with the uh, Virginia Department of Health and all the students that are in it are actually certified community health workers. This summer I had to, I had to do a community health worker training program through the Virginia Department of Health. So oh, it's wow. kind of cool having that certification. Yeah. So it seems it seems like there is a lot of opportunities for you to kind of uh, to, to di again. It's almost like you're echoing uh, what you were doing at Brooks, where you had your hands in a bunch of different pots, or you're wearing a bunch of different hats. Right. Um, yeah. You had a lot of opportunities to to kind of grow. Um, 
That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And I, I love what you said about primary care progress and, and the organization in general uh, mm-hmm. as a way to, to holistically treat and care for uh, patients. You know, um, it's nice to have that communication between an education yeah. between health professions. Uh, so we all know like what we're capable of doing. Well, we're all. Yeah. And that's kind of the main point. It's kind of, you know, like with PTs with direct access, it's like. You know, the patient can, can just go to the physical therapist first and they have the training to accurately screen them and be confident that if it's not musculoskeletal in nature, then then they'll refer to the PCP, you know, instead of having to go to the PCP first and then go back to the PT and then back to the PCP. It's just huge healthcare costs that sometimes isn't necessary. Right. It kind of it kind of streamlines the process, gets the patient to appropriate care in the most yeah. time efficient manner. And how pharmacists uh, know a lot about diet and can get flu shots and are really educated on diabetes and thing, you know, preventative medicine. So it's just kind of a really holistic and team approach that PCP is trying to get out there. It's 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 what it really is, it is a movement, primary care progress. They base all their research off civil rights movement and the marriage movement and how those were so so successful is by um, people really working together and spreading their ideals and passions about a certain topic. That's great. Yeah. Dude, you are in so many cool things. Again, (laughs) I feel like your title of most interesting man in the Shenandoah Valley should not be overlooked. Um, But it's it's weird because I don't feel like I can say this very often, but you make me feel like I didn't do anything in grad school. <laughs> yeah. uh, you're the one like in like three different programs. Hey, that's what I'm saying. Like you make me feel like I didn't do a lot. You're doing all this cool stuff, dude. Keep doing what you're doing, man. Yeah, you know, it's going to be people. It's people like you that are going to make this profession like more than what it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hope so. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's awesome. And so, Tony, we, you've uh, you've had the opportunity to also travel abroad too. And so, yes. I've had this this really awesome opportunity to call you a close friend. And I know this story already, but most yeah. of our listeners do not. So, would you care to elaborate on your experience at the end of your spring semester, and then that trip that you went to during uh, to Nicaragua? Yeah. So this is where things might turn a little bit of a corner in terms of. Yeah, the more emotional side of the story. I'm um, gonna ready my tissues and be prepared to get <laughs> <in> the feels. <laughs> um, so you know, you know the the point of this podcast. Well, you know, one of the many points is to be you know resilient and overcome um, adversity. So here's a story of where that was very important. Um, so like you said, I. Struggled my first semester of PT school. Um, did not do well. It was just the transition for me. Um, and then I, like I said, accurately identified what I did wrong and owned up to it and changed it. Um, and then everything was fine. Um, I got accepted to do an internship in Nicaragua. Um, and so, which we went to do it the day after finals um, of our spring semester. Um, So spring semester, I I knew my grandpa was getting sick. um, And and my grandpa was down in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, He was really 
important person in my life. Um, I'm actually currently sitting at his desk right now um, with all his stuff, Mm -hmm. not like his papers, but like his old lamp and um, his pen holder and like a model car and stuff like that. Um, And um, I learned he was getting sick my spring semester, but then the Friday before finals started, I learned that he was back in the hospital and that it was not good this time. Um, and then the Monday of the first day of finals week, I had just gotten done with my anatomy written and anatomy cadaver lab practical. And I learned that he passed away. Um, and it was finals week was just starting. Um, I was having to go to this mission trip the Saturday after finals, um, that, family and friends had donated the funds for, and I had already paid for. Mm. Um, and I just decided to just power through finals and just get through it all and try and block everything out. Um, probably wasn't the best idea, but I, as many people would, I mean, have agreed with me that I, you know, it's hard to really think clearly and the madness of all that and everyone else, in grad school with me being very stressed out too. It was just hard to think clearly. So I just decided to power through my finals and I actually did fine on all my finals except one. And I didn't even know I did bad on it until I was in Nicaragua the first day we had started clinic and we had Wi-Fi there, unfortunately. Um, People were checking their grades, and I realized I failed a final and dropped my final grade in a class to a C, and I couldn't afford a C that semester to maintain the minimum GPA. Um, And then I learned the next day that I was uh, dismissed from the program, um, despite having decided to power through finals. um, And... um, and so that was really, really hard. Not only had I lost my grandpa and put myself through hell, mm-hmm. I did all that pretty much at the time. It felt like for nothing. Um, and I still had a whole entire week to go of 12 hour days in Nicaragua in hundred degree weather with no one that I was really close with and had to wake up every single day and pretend that everything was okay. Even though, I knew I had lost my grandpa, I had no job, and nor was I in PT school anymore. And um, I had to keep my cool (laughs) for a whole whole entire week. Um, And, I mean, there's far worse tragedies in life than that. But in terms of grad school and this topics, it really, really, really sucked. Um, You know, I thought to myself, I could have just been like, you know, screw this. Let me just go home and pay my respects to my grandpa and dealt with it later. I said, no, let me be strong like him, power through it, and then still failed out anyways. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah. What did, what did you do? Like, how, how did you – I mean, I know in the moment it was kind of like a – just bury it down, deal with it later type situation. Mm -hmm. But how, how did you get through that week when you're in Nicaragua? Um, Well, I, 
I mean, it might sound kind of corny, but I think it's one of the reasons that I know I need to be a clinician. I mean, I came there to help people, and I knew that, I mean, you can go do a mission trip whether you're a PT student or not. I mean, you can just be like, you know, some teacher or something and just decided to do a mission trip. So, you know, I wasn't going to just shut down and not do anything. I just decided to keep the people there as my focus that I was there to help them. And that was really all that mattered. Um, and that, you know, I was there also to embrace their culture, which, you know, I've had experience with. So I just made the best of it and just knew that, you know, I was going to reapply to get back in. And I knew that by keeping my head up and, doing a good job there would have the outcome that I needed to make, to try and get back into this program. Um, which was, like I said, very, very hard to do. Don't really know how I did it, but I did. Um, and yeah. So Tony, you're, go ahead, go ahead, Jake. I was just going to say, Tony, you're, you're one of the strongest people that I have ever met. <laughs> To be able to to be able to to go from from that point, which is one of the lowest, and I know you mentioned that there's far worse things in life, but that's that's down there. It's pretty 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 hard after yeah. everything that you've been through, um, and and to be able to 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 look at yourself and say, I'm here for the people of Nicaragua. I'm going to help them, regardless of how I'm feeling. Um, you said that, you know, you're going to be a great uh, physical therapist and, and we know it too, <laughs> to be able to, regardless of what's going on inside you, to be able to put energy out to help someone else, um, mm-hmm. is, is an amazing thing. Uh, and yes, you're going to be a phenomenal therapist. <laughs> Thanks. I, I think it's a, a testament to like, I mean, I, we've all been in tough situations and I, I know that for me, it's almost like I go on autopilot. Right. You know I mean, you just kind of you get to the point where it's almost like survival. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Aside, that's kind of what it's aside from everything else that's going on, you kind of like you you either get crushed or you survive. Right. And when you go into that survival mode, it's it's just autopilot. It's like dismissing your feelings, and it's just doing what you can to keep your head above water. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like so coming back from that trip and. Um, you know, we barely got any sleep the whole trip and then coming back to my empty apartment, like my roommate was gone. Everyone was gone for summer. Um, that was just a horrible feeling knowing that I came back. I felt like I came back to like nothing. (laughs) Oh man. (laughs) So that, that was a little rough, but yeah, I felt like at that point it was just about like survival mm. and knowing that I would get through it um, and had enough faith in myself that I knew that the faculty would see past just, you know, a couple bad grades like my fall semester and knew that I had a lot on me. Um, so I was, I was still confident at the same time. Mm-hmm. But it kind of echoes what you said before too, in, in, in trusting the process and trusting in yourself. You yeah. Know, you, you've put so much time and energy into, into something. And if we're going to get that pop culture reference from the alchemist, uh, <laughs> you know, you, you put all that and the universe is going to help make things the way it is and, or whatever that quote is. I can't even formulate sentences. I'm kind of like, when you, I'm hit with too many feels. <laughs> 
when you desire something, everything in the universe conspires to help you achieve it. They saw yeah. that. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Those are the words that I was trying to say, but my, my heart is just like shaking and my whole body's just like, ah, uh, so, but, but yeah, I mean, you, you, you trusted in your process and, and, uh, and, and right. worked through it, you know, and, and said, this is, this stayed is the path. Calm. Yeah. Stayed calm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think that's really commendable. Right. You know, and it's, it's interesting too, because being like being in the AT program, having to take like emergency medical classes, doing like on field, you know, emergency care for people. The first thing they always tell you is like, stay calm. Mm-hmm. And like yeah. when, when it hits the fan, like it's usually not always the way that it goes down, but in those moments when you can achieve that clarity and you can stay calm and try to like, I guess as part of that survival process, like almost pull away from yourself, like almost, I don't know, step back and try to see things with more objectivity right. and not, not being like emotional and not processing things with all of your emotions and like kind of clouding your judgment and what's going on, but being able mm-hmm. to, you know, be an adult, be a, a bigger, per- I don't, I don't know. I'm using all these cliches. Uh, but, but step back and, and just try to see things with objectiveness and clarity yes. and, and, and really think logically about what's going down. I think that that helps a lot. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with everything that you've been through, like what advice would you give like our listeners to, to help them with the resiliency and, and how do we face it over adversity and overcome it? What would you say, Tony? Um, I think overall is, you know, we're just in terms of, you know, like, you know, your failures, don't be afraid to admit to it and, you know, just embrace them because that's really how you're going to learn. And that's really what's going to transcribe into the field as a physical therapist, you're going to try different treatment methods and they're not all going to work. And not only that, but we're not going to get everyone better. And that's one thing that my CIs always tell me is that, you know, it's as a new grad, we're going to think that we have, we're going to try everything we can to get someone better. And like, you know, sometimes it's just, it's, it's not going to happen. And, but what we can do though is, you know, pretty much just learn from everything, um, starting in grad school. So whether if it's, you struggle with a certain class or a certain concept or, you know, or even just the time management of it, um, don't be afraid to admit to your failures and just take a step back and really just analyze everything and see what you can work on and focus on and take it one step at a time. Um, and also with, with grad school, something that I've observed is, you know, don't let doing bad on a test or, you know, maybe having a midterm review that wasn't the best in clinic get you down so bad. I mean, it's really learning from your, from your mistakes is what shows that you're really learning. Um, and to, 
sometimes you do have to be called out or you do have to, you know, sometimes do bad on something to really challenge yourself and truly learn something. And that's how it was for me. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, you, the, oh, go ahead, Jake. Oh, I was just going to say, there's, there's always going to be subjects that you're not going to be the best at. Right. Like uh, cardiac stuff, inpatient rehab, like I'm not really good at that stuff because I mean, partly because it probably doesn't interest me as much as like sports and ortho and stuff like that. But you know, like you don't have to be good at everything. Right. But you do need to be a good person and you need to be honest with the people yes. that you work with and with yourself. Right. Because if you can be honest with the people you work with and you can create a good therapeutic relationship with patients, you're going to be a great physical therapist. And if you right. can be honest with yourself and you know when you need to ask for help or yes. when you need to change something, you're going to be a great student. You're going to be a great person because no yeah, one, sure. no one is above, no one's perfect, right? No one is above getting better at something or changing the way that they do something. Yeah. And that's one thing that I always did well with in clinic is I would always be like, yeah, why don't you go ahead and show me first? Cause I want to make sure that I'm doing it absolutely right to offer the best, you know, like patient care, or I'm not afraid to admit that I don't know something. I'm like, nope, I haven't come across that. And you know, my studies or whatever, why don't we talk about that a little bit? You know, Mike, how many times have we said that that's the mark of a true clinician? Someone who admits <laughs> that they don't know things. Yeah. No, that's the biggest thing. You need to you need to get over your hubris and, and maintain that humble attitude and say, listen, I don't know, but I will find out. Right. Ready? I'm, right. I'm about to drop a huge, like, <laughs> cultural reference here. Okay? We all need to be Jon Snow. We all need to know nothing. Oh. <laughs> Boom. There it is. <laughs> Game of Thrones fans will be happy. <laughs> but it's true, though. You know, the more, the more that we study, the more that we realize that there's so much that we don't know and we need to understand that. So, right. right. Yeah. Yeah. So we know your story doesn't end in, in Nicaragua, though, does it? So what did you yeah. do next? Well, unless it unless um, it did and you're still in Nicaragua right now. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm closer to Nicaragua than y'all. I mean, I'm currently in Florida, but I'm not, I'm not there. Um, <laughs> I, so, so, okay. So yeah, I was uh, dismissed from the program, but then I was let back in like a week later, um, which was good. Um, and I just, once again, trusted the process. I knew the end result would be good. Um, but it wasn't that easy though. Um, I had to do a whole extra year of grad school, um, not full time. I just had to retake the classes that I got a C in. Um, but I had to join a new class and leave my old one, which is not easy seeing, you know, everyone you started out with going, um, you know, like ahead of you. Um, and I retook all those classes, did well. Um, so now I'm, I'm officially in my second year of PT school, back in school full time and doing just as well and mm-hmm. on the right path. <laughs> you, say, you say just as well, but we know you're crushing it. <laughs> yeah. He's just being humble. 
He's just being humble. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which is good. So again, he's how, the most interesting man in the Shenandoah Valley. He's got a, you know, he has to protrude this like humility, even though everyone knows he's a badass. He's just gonna, <laughs> he's just gonna do his thing. Right. <laughs> so, so that's obviously it ends in a, in a, on a happy note, which is great. Um, uh, yeah. What, what did you learn about yourself from this whole experience? Um, well, first off, I learned that I'm a lot stronger than I realized. Um, you know, 10 years ago, I would have no idea I would be, you know, capable of this. Um, you know, I also realized that, you know, nothing in life is handed to you. Um, for some others, it might be a little bit easier, but, and for some it's not, but no matter who you are, nothing is ever handed to you. Um, and everything's going to come with its challenges. Um, and just, you know, when you know you're on the right path, um, it just feels right to stay there. I mean, so many people were probably like, how did that feel like the right path (laughs) that you were on? Um, and it, it just, I just, always follow my gut and I'm like, who cares that I had this huge barrier in the road? I mean, the faculty always believed in me and said that they thought I would be a great therapist. I just needed to get through this challenge. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, I learned about, you know, so once again, I learned a lot about myself and also that, you know, I'm a leader. I'm not afraid to, um, share the story and I'm honest about it. And, um, I feel like people can learn a lot from it. Yeah. And we, we were so excited, um, that you're interested in coming on our show to, to kind of use this as a way to, to talk about these things. Cause, yeah. um, you know, I feel like a lot of times we view failure as, as something that's bad and, and something that's, you know, something we should be ashamed of, uh, when in fact it's just an area where we can learn and, and grow to get yeah. better. Yeah. Um, sure. Yeah. So we, you know, thank you for, for coming on and, and speaking to us about this. This is, this is great. Um, I've got like four quotes I want to drop real quick. Okay. Um, they've just been in my head. One, another alchemist one, wasn't it like the secret to life is falling down eight times or sorry, falling down seven times and getting up eight? Yeah. Something like that, yeah. yeah. So one, that reminded me of that. Two, uh, just saw the new Star Wars and in it Yoda says the greatest teacher failure is. <laughs> so just want to throw that one out there. Three, shout out to Gerard. This is another quote of his that reminds me very much of Tony. And that is, they tried to bury us, but they didn't know that we were seeds. Oh, I like that. Yeah, that's a, that's a great one. And then four, I don't think this is in a book anywhere. This is just something that, this is kind of like a mantra that I always tell myself. And like, if I'm getting down on myself or if I'm experiencing like, you know, challenges or struggles, turmoil, whatever it is, I always think to myself, like, if, I, if I'm going to write a book about my life. No one wants to read a book about me failing and stopping. Right. Right. They want to read about me failing or me hitting a challenge or an obstacle and overcoming it and becoming better because of it. Right. Then nobody wants to hear. Cause like all the cool stories you hear, you know, like the great go with me here, lifetime original movies. 
<laughs> that Patricia watches. That's my grandmother. Shout out to Patricia. Um, or just anything. Like all the great stories that you hear, there's always some sort of you know, conflict or turmoil or like a challenge. And then everyone always beats it. They overcome it. And those are the stories that we cherish and we you know, tell our kids and pass on and make cool movies about. Well, except for, I guess, yeah. the Titanic didn't really have that. That was a bad ending, but, um, but you, you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> so those are my, like, the things that are just, like, keep popping in my head that I, I just wanted to verbally vomit at you. <laughs> All right, so with the Titanic, I have a, I have a conniption with that movie. <laughs> okay. Okay, so... Uh, before well, I can't even remember the uh, the woman's name. Uh, it's it's not Kate. Is it Rose? That's it. I was gonna say Kate. I don't know why. Um, I just remember the people, not the names, which is terrible. Um, but so so Rose is is in love with this guy before she gets on the boat. Like she's she spent uh, she's had a relationship with this guy before she goes on this boat, and then she goes on the boat and she meets Jack, and she spends I don't know a couple of days on the boat with Jack. And, you know, they fall in love and do all that kind of stuff. And, and she and he paints her like one of his French girls, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, Eight month posture. Uh, yeah. And <laughs> at, yeah, there is. so at the at the end, um, you know, at the end of the Titanic, she survives and she goes on and, and she has this relationship with this guy. Maybe she spends like 40 years with him or something like that. Right. Um, or maybe even longer than that. She spends, you know, the relationship with this guy. It wasn't Jack, but she spends a relationship with him. And right. then when she passes away, and this is spoilers for anybody that hasn't seen Titanic, I'm sorry. But when she when she passes away, who does she see when she goes to quote unquote heaven? She sees Jack. She doesn't see the guy she spent 40 plus years with. <laughs> and I'm just like, I feel so yeah, awkward. I feel so bad for that guy because he's like He's like, oh, you know, this is just in my head what I'm thinking. Like, he's like, oh, you know, I love Rose. You know, like we're meant to be together, all this stuff. And he passes away. He's like, I'm going to wait for you, Rose. This would be great. And then when she gets there and meets up with him, she sees Jack instead. And he's just kind of like by the wayside. <laughs> Dude, that's like the ultimate friend zone. <laughs> oh, <laughs> just crushed. <laughs> oh, man. Wow. That Titanic thing really... That was a that was a that was a rabbit hole. I just needed to get that off my chest. Yeah. <laughs> hey man, no, I, I'm with you. That yeah, I feel bad for that whatever whatever the other guy's name was. Yeah, we don't even know. We never hear his story. <laughs> yeah, he's not worthy to have a name. Do you, do you think James Cameron will do Titanic Part Two and give us the perspectives from Rose's husband? I hope so. I really do. It's too. what the people want. <laughs> I mean, thank thank God Disney's forming a, a trust now that they own Fox because they could very easily make that movie. Just 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 make it happen. I just need the answer. It's been keeping me up at night. James Cameron, if you're listening to this podcast, which we know you're a big fan, um, please do what we ask of you. Thank you. <laughs> And anyways, anyway, so we've talked a lot about uh, we talked about a lot of great things uh, on this podcast right. and, and, and and some really big reflections. And, and Tony, you shared some really personal information and we really thank you for that. Um, Do we need to does, they, does HIPAA apply to this? Is this like a like a HIPAA anti HIPAA podcast thing? Like, are we not supposed to should I have learned what HIPAA was in school? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> 
Probably. All right. Well, we'll never know. <laughs> no, we won't. <laughs> um, so, uh, I think it's about that time. We're getting, we're running up here on the, on the, on the final question here. Uh-huh. So, so um, at the movement docs, you know, we believe in always moving forward in all that you do. So based on all of your previous experience and knowledge and life, the pursuit of happiness, what is one piece of advice that you would give to anyone listening to the show to help them be the best versions of themselves? Right. Um, I really think that uh, taking a step back is what truly makes someone the best version of themselves. Um, it allows for you to reflect and it and also leaves you more time to grow and, and to really discover what you're capable of. And that's what happened um, with me and PT school so far. I really had to take a step back and start over, but because of that, um, I've come a really long way. I got to, you know, uh, partake in a lot of service and leadership opportunities and really just develop myself on many different levels. Um, and so, like I said, taking a step back was probably one of the best things that I ever did. Hmm. That's great advice to give to, you know, somebody, well, I was going to say some of the, some of the best people that I've met in PT school, um, have been in your situation where Mm -hmm. something's happened and they've had to, um, you know, repeat a year, you know, in the moment everyone's like, Oh no, like this, this is sucks. It's horrible. But like you said, it's, it's what for that person, that is what needed to happen at that time as much as it sucks. And like, you know, we, we never would wish bad upon anyone or that you have to pay like an extra 40 grand because of tuition or whatever. Right. Um, but it makes you so much a better human being, a better person, mm-hmm. a better clinician, a better friend, because right. you have that much more life experience, that much more, you know, this is kind of me going to be on a soapbox for a little bit, but if you, if you think of like everyone, everyone in life in general, right, we're going to experience loss. We're going to experience happiness. We're going to experience sadness. And even though mm-hmm. we don't have the same experiences as other people, we can we have those emotions. We know what that feels like, right? Everyone mm-hmm. at some point is going to experience loss. Everyone at some point is going to experience failure. And so right. having that, having more life experience, having, you know, like another notch in your belt, it makes you a better person because you're, you've lived more, you've experienced more, you're wiser, you've bounced back from things. Mm-hmm. And like yeah, we said, sure. like those experiences make you just a really tremendous human being. And uh, really, really do appreciate you coming on the show and sharing yeah, no your story and just being like a, a badass, dude. Like, again, most <laughs> man in the Shenandoah Valley voted for uh, 2015 through 2018. Um, hands down, one of the best drinking buddies to you ever have at any local uh, pub or bar or beer establishment in the Western area. Because Tony has so many amazing stories and so many life experiences that are just really cool to learn, yeah. to, to get to know. And so, again, I feel like I'm just repeating myself and use a bunch of buzzwords and cliches all the time. But, dude, we cannot thank you enough for being on the show. Yeah, thank you. I enjoyed it.
Yeah. I mean, it's, it's inspiring everything that you've been able to say and, and you, you turn the strengths or your, your weaknesses into strengths uh, and your strengths into more strengths. And, um, you know, you find ways to persevere and, and follow your passions and your dreams. And that's something that's very uh, inspiring and something that we should all try to emulate. So uh, thank you for taking the time to be on our show. No problem. Thank you. Yeah. If anybody um, listening to the show wants to get into contact with you, what's the best way that they can do that? Um, as of now, they can send it to my school email. So it's a molder. Okay. 15 at su dot edu. So a molder 15. Yep. Sweet. Yeah. A Mulder, okay. A Mulder 15 at SU. Gotcha. Um, yep. Tony, random question. Is there a, uh, an A Scully 15 at Shenandoah University? <laughs> um, no. I okay. looked. <laughs> did, you, did you really? How many, how many X-Files jokes do you get? Or like, do people uh, ask you that a lot? Do they call you like Agent Mulder? Mulder? Yeah. Um, I mean, it happened a lot in the nineties. Um, but it definitely happens a lot now too, though. Okay. A lot when I was like five and I didn't know what they were talking about. (laughs) They were like, where's Scully? I was like, I don't know where. (laughs) Even I was sarcastic, even at age five, which was kind of interesting. But (laughs) Well, thank thank you for entertaining me with that. I appreciate it. All right, everybody, thanks again for tuning in this week where we spoke with Tony Mulder. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, or have a topic that you'd like us to discuss, shoot us an email at tmdmovementdocs at gmail.com. Thanks, and we'll see you next week. And, guys, just a side note, uh, pretty soon Mike and I will be launching our website. And because January and New Year's resolutions are coming up, uh, we'll be doing a little team-up with our buddy Gerard Tabapal and trying to live a whole month of non-zero days. And so that's going to include maybe some, I think we're going to do some video stuff on Instagram, talking about, you know, sharing our stories, doing some stuff through our website, um, and setting some goals and trying to track our progress towards achieving them. So keep your eyes out for that. It's going to be a cool collab, and uh, we hope you guys get involved with it too.